Good evening. Good evening. How's everybody doing? Hey, it is good, so very good to be back here at Kempsville, one of my favorite places uh, to preach in all the world, giving obedience to God, my Father, Jesus Christ, who is the Lord and Savior of my life, to your pastor, my friend and brother beloved, Mr. GQ. <laughs> I tell you, I preach all over the country, but there's very few pastors that dress like your pastor. He's always sharp, man. And every, and every year I think I'm coming out do him, he always show me up, man. I, I just knew I had you this year, Doc. I knew I had you this year till I walked in your office and I said, oh, man, I just might well just forget it. Amen. I just might well just come here and preach. That's all, brother. Can't just come and preach. But I thank God for your pastor, my friend and brother beloved, Pastor Burris. Thank God for his wife, Brenda, and for Sharon, who uh, make all the arrangements for me to be here. I'm indeed delighted and excited because I have been invited to be back here with you one more time. I just thank God for this wonderful an exciting privilege uh, to be back here in Kempsfield. Uh, if you have your Bibles tonight, turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 as we share tonight in the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 as we share tonight in the Word of God. I know many of you have seen what is happening down in the state of Louisiana uh, where we have over 20,000 people now in shelters over 10,000 people have uh, lost uh, their homes uh, to, the, 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 to the flood that's happening down there. And I've been uh, dealing with a lot of that this past uh, two weeks. A number of our former members from Franklin Avenue who moved from New Orleans 11 years ago this month because of Hurricane Katrina are now going through the same thing all over again in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. As a matter of fact, one of my former members, uh, Dr. Howard, who's a doctor uh, there in Baton Rouge, he sent me a video, Pastor Burris, of uh, his wife and daughter being rescued and, uh, out of their house. And all he can put under that video was deja vu. It's happened all over again. The point I'm simply making that there are just some things in life that we just don't understand why things happen the way they do. I know many of them like I did 11 years ago when Hurricane Katrina was on our way to the city, I began praying fervently that the God would just take it some other directions. When these people started getting all the rain, many of them were praying fervently that nothing would happen to them. There were areas that flooded that never flooded before, and yet their houses flooded, which leads me to a very interesting question. How do you as a believer deal with unanswered prayer? How do you handle unanswered prayer? You're a believer, you're a child of God, and you call on God in certain situations and circumstances, and yet that prayer is not answered. How do we as believers, my brother and my sister, should deal with those times in our lives that all of us will face sooner or later in life? I want to talk about that tonight from a very familiar passage of Scripture. I want you to look at with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to look at verses 7 through 10 of that chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10 of that chapter. The Apostle Paul is the writer in this text. If you have it, please say amen. 
As always, y'all can say amen all throughout my sermon, all right? I'm kind of used to it, all right? Y'all know me by now, amen? So I'll amen all through this sermon. Don't, won't bother me at all. Second Corinthians chapter 12, look at with me verses 7 through 10. You'll find these similar words. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches in needs and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Our Father and our God, Master, we thank you and we praise you for this wonderful privilege and opportunity that you've given me once again to be here at the Kemsville Baptist Church for an awesome Monday night service. Thank you for all that has taken place, God, on this night. Thank you for the music that has been rendered, God. Thank you for the musicians, God. Thank you, Lord, for the members of this church, all the guests who assembled. Thank you for Pastor Burris, God, and his friendship that he has confidence in me to welcome me back here one more time. To stand in the pulpit, God, where there's no lack of preaching and to share the word of God. God is always stand in my body, think with my mind, speak with my voice. God, hide me behind the cross. Let them not see Fred. But God, let them see Christ. So then, God, that you may be glorified. The saints of God may be edified. Satan may be horrified and lost sinners will come to repentance. And God, we be careful to give your name all the praise, all of the glory and all of the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. And for us, say again, the people of God say amen. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I begged the Lord three times that it might depart from me. With that text of mine, with that scripture of mine, with this occasion of mine, I want to preach this out tonight from the subject when God says. No. When God says no. Kinsville, one of the greatest decisions in the world is when a person decides to become a Christian. When a person decides to become a believer. Any of y'all remember that time when you gave your heart gay? I see a lot of those hands. Uh, you gave your life to the Lord. That time in your life when you became a new creature. A time in your life when you became born again. That time in your life when you receive salvation into your life. That time in your life when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. Songwriters have tried to describe this new life that we have in Christ. One songwriter said it like this. A change, a change has come over me. He changed my life and now I'm free. Another songwriter said it like this. I looked at my hands and my hands looked new. 
I looked at my feet and they there too. Another songwriter said it that many of you are familiar with. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I found. I was blind, but now I see. Each of those songs, ladies and gentlemen, in their own way, try to explain uh, this Christian life, this new life that we have in Christ, where all things, musicians have passed away, and all things now become new. When a person accepts Jesus Christ in his or her life, you become part of the family of God. You become a member of the body of Christ. And how many know today that membership has its privileges? I tell our members every Sunday, Pastor, I say, listen, listen, you need to make sure that if you want to join our church, make sure that you finish everything, go through the, the new members classes and make sure that you're an official member of Franklin Avenue Baptist Church simply because membership has uh, its privileges. And one of the main or uh, primary privileges that God grants believers is the privilege of prayer. One of the privileges that God gives out of all the things that we are entrusted to it or given to once we become a believer, Kemsville is the privilege of prayer. Prayer for the believer is how we communicate with God. Prayer for the believer is how we talk to God. Uh, I'm not talking to you. You're not talking to me. It's how we talk to God. Uh, as a pastor friend of mine who lives in Atlanta, Georgia, and tells the amusing story about the time he was teaching his little girl how to pray, as many of us parents do. We'll go into our kids' room all night before bedtime, and we'll get by their bedside and teach them how to pray. So he went into her room, uh, got on his knees, she got on her knees, he put his hand together, she put her hand together, he bowed this head, she bowed this head, and he would lead her in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and she would repeat the prayer after me. Well, after about four days and four nights, uh, he went to the room the fifth night and said, okay, baby, dad has been teaching you the prayer for the last four nights. Do you think you can do the prayer by yourself tonight? Say, yes, daddy, I know I can do it. Say, you sure? Say, yes, daddy, I can do that. So he said, okay, let's do it. So he got on his knees, she got on her knees, he put his hand together. She put our hands together. He closed his eyes. She closed her eyes. And he waited and didn't hear anything. There was another 30 seconds after he waited and still didn't hear anything. After about 45 seconds, he kind of looked over. He saw her lips moving, but he didn't hear anything. And he said, baby, you okay? She said, yeah, daddy, I'm fine. He said, are you sure you can do this? He said, yeah, daddy, I'm sure you sure you can lead the press? He said, yeah, daddy. And he said, and he looked at her and said, well, baby, daddy can't hear you. And as a typical five-year-old who'd been here before, she looked at her daddy, put her hands on her hip and said, I ain't talking to you. <laughs> Isn't that good? But she was right. She wasn't talking to that daddy. She was talking to that daddy. And God doesn't mind how you say it loud or say it low or say it in your heart. The thing is, you want to communicate with God. You want to talk to God. It's a form of communication that every member of the body should take advantage of that God has given to us. As a matter of fact, the Bible, the word of God, encourages this form of communication between God and his children. In Matthew 6 and 9, it says Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Matthew 7 and 7 say, ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be open unto you. Matthew 21 and 22 say, and all things, whatever you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Matthew 26 and 41 say, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Luke 18 and 1 says uh, that men should always pray 
and not faint. Philippians 4 and 6 says, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. First Thessalonians 5 and 17 say, pray without ceasing. It's as if somebody asked God, God, is it important to pray? And God would say, duh. Every believer should understand how important it is for us to pray. God encourages us to pray. He invites us to pray. He commands us as his sons and daughters to pray. And the question of the hour, I've come all the way from New Orleans, Louisiana, to come here tonight at Kimsville Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia, is to ask the question, what happens when you pray and God says no? What happens when you cry out to God? What happens when you pray? What happens when you get on your knees and put your hands together and close your eyes and call out to your heavenly father and God says no? How should we as believers handle hearing no from our heavenly father? You're a believer. You're a child of God. You've accepted Christ into your life. You're part of the family of God. You're a member of the body of Christ. And yet when you make a request to God, your heavenly father, through prayer, God says no. What should we do? How should we as believers respond when God says no? Well, that's all I'm going to talk about tonight in this text. As we see how the apostle Paul that with a prayer request he prayed to God and the answer was not what he expected to hear. Let's see what happens in our text. As always, there are several things I want you to see here in the text. So look at with me once again in 2 Chronicles chapter 12. And there are several things I want you to see. First of all, I want you to notice the restraint. Notice the restraint. Look at verse 7. The Bible says, the scripture says, the word of God says, unless I should be exalted Above measure, by the abundance of revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Notice the restraint. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, there was something in Paul's life that was preventing him from being all that he could be for God. Paul described this restraint as a thorn in the flesh. Again, there it is right there. He said, a a, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan. Whatever this thorn was, Kinsville, it it, it confined Paul. It limited Paul. It restricted Paul from being all that he could be for God. As a matter of fact, this thorn in the flesh was so aggravating to the Apostle Paul that Paul called it a messenger of Satan. Apostle Paul felt that Satan directly sent this thorn in the flesh to afflict Paul just like Satan did to Job in the Old Testament. How many of y'all remember the story of Job in the Old Testament? Job had no clue of what was happening to his life. He had no clue that Satan and God had a conversation about him in chapter 1 of Job when the Bible said that the enemy was walking around and God went to Satan and said, man, what are you doing? And he said, well, you know, man, I'm just walking to and fro seeking whom I may devour. And God says, well, man, why don't you pick on somebody your size? Uh, have you considered my servant Job? And the devil said, well, since you brought him up. And God said, do whatever you want. Just don't touch his soul. Job had no clue about that conversation. Job had no clue that he had a, 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 a bullseye on his chest. Job had no clue that he was being picked out to be picked on. All Job knew that was one night he gets a knock at his door. Job. All your children are dead as they were leaving. 
Job, all your cattle and your funds, you get another knock at the door. Job had no realize, did not realize that he was being picked out. To be, he was directly being attacked by the devil. And that's like the way Apostle Paul felt here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul felt he was directly being attacked by the Satan, by Satan because he said, he said, the stone in the flesh was given to me a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Now, ladies and gentlemen, now no one really knows what the thorn in the flesh was. You can study it up, you read theologians, or, or read Bible commentaries, or think there's no Bible scholar or no theologian who have studied this text for years and years, but no one can ever say for certain what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. There have been a lot of recommendations, there have been a lot of ideas, uh, but no one can say for certain that Paul's thorn in the flesh was this. Many have suggested it was some type of physical ailment that the Apostle Paul had. Maybe he had an earache or or severe migraine headaches. Some had suggested he had epilepsy so bad. Or some said Paul had uh, bad eyes, that he was hardly blind. But the fact of the matter, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, is that no one knows for sure what this thorn was that the Apostle Paul had. No one knows for sure what this thing was that was, here it is, restraining Paul. That was confining Paul. That was restricting Paul from reaching his full potential in God. Let me say that again. No one really knows what was this Paul had that was restraining Paul, that was confining Paul, that was restricting Paul from reaching his full potential for God. And you know what, my brothers and sisters, you know what, ladies and gentlemen, I believe, Pastor Burris, that God intended that to be so, so that every last one of us, from the pulpit to the back row, that every last one of us could relate to Paul's struggle, to Paul's situation. In other words, All of us in here, if we're honest with ourselves, if we take off the mask, if we take off the halo, if we're honest with ourselves, every last one of us in here have at least one thing. Every last one of us in here have at least one thing. Uh, My friend, my brother, my sister, what's that one thing, that one thorn in the flesh that's preventing you and me from being all that we can be for God? Matter of fact, it's such a secret that your spouse don't even know. Your children don't even know. Your parents don't even know. Your church members don't even know. People that have been knowing you for years don't know this one thing uh, that's been preventing you, that's been uh, restraining you from reaching the full potential that God has for you in your life and in your ministry. That one thing that's that's been limiting you, that's one thing that's been confining you, that's been restricting you from reaching your full potential as a preacher, as a deacon, as a trustee, as a musician, as a choir member, as a member of the body of Christ. What's that one thing that has been stopping you from being all that God wants you to be? What's your issue, ladies? Uh, what's your stronghold, brothers? What's that one thing uh, that's stopping you from being all that you can be for God? Uh, is it some physical ailment, a uh, 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 high blood pressure, diabetes, uh, 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 cancer, uh, arthritis? What is that one thing? Is it some temptation, a stronghold in your life, or maybe a pornography, or a premarital sex, or a extramarital sex? Or what is that one thing that's stopping you or preventing you from being all that you can be for God? Is it some addiction? Is it some habit, a gambling addiction, a drug addiction, an alcohol addiction? What is that one thing that's stopping you from being everything that you can be for God? Is it some lifestyle, church, or homosexuality, profanity? What is that one 
something uh, that's stopping you from being all that you can be for God. Some type of persecution, or uh, uh, opposition, jealousy, or envy in the ministry. What's that one thing, my brother? What's that one thing, my sister? What's that one thing, leaders, that's stopping you from being an effective witness for God? For being all that you can be for God? Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, just what is that one thing that's stopping you from being all that you can be for God? What is that one thing, my brothers? What is that one thing, my sisters, that become a pain in your, I mean, a thorn in your flesh? Woo, that was close, Pastor. That was close. What's that one thing? Because all of us have at least one thing. Don't look at the person to your left. Don't look at the person to your right. Don't look at the person. All of us in here have at least one thing. Now, mine may not be yours. Yours may not be mine. But I guarantee you, everybody in here has at least one thing that's stopping you from being all that you can be for God. It's your little secret. Nobody else knows. But you know that it's stopping you and preventing you from being all that you can be for God. Paul's restraint. Paul had that one thing in his life. Secondly, look at the request. Not only the restraint, but secondly, look at the request. Look at verse 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul said, the scripture said, the word of God says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord that it might depart from me. Not only the restraint, but look at the request. Paul said in the word of God, in the text, pastor, that he prayed not just once. Kinsville, that he prayed not twice, but again that he prayed three times for God to remove this thorn in his life. This painful, this humiliating thing that Paul felt that the enemy had given to Paul. Paul not only prayed, ladies and gentlemen, but the Bible said, the scripture said that Paul pleaded with God. Oh, God, please. Oh, God, I can't take it anymore. Oh, God, I can't. De- oh, Paul pleaded with God to take this thing away. Now, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, y- y'all know me by now. I need to be honest with y'all. When I read this text, I really begin to think that God was not being fair. When I saw this and when I prepared this sermon, I really began to believe that, uh, that, 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 that God was not being fair. Why would not God say yes to this request? Why would God not say yes to this request? I mean, after all, look who's asking. The Apostle Paul is asking this request. I was not asking this request. You were not asking this request. The Apostle Paul was, and I can see God telling me no, because I still got some issues. I, I, I still got some things in my life that, that God is still working on me with. God is still working on me. God is not finished with me yet. I can see God still telling me no. I don't study like I should. I don't pray like I should. I don't witness like I should. I don't love like I should all the time. I don't forgive like I should. I speed when I drive. I can see God telling me no. I can't eat, I can't eat uh, just two Krispy Kreme donuts. It's gotta be at least six. Uh, I, I, I can't eat just uh, two spoons of blueberry vanilla homemade. It's gotta at least a pint of homemade vanilla ice cream. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I got some issues. I can see God telling me no, but the apostle Paul was making this request. Paul was no novice. Paul 
was no neophyte. Paul was no beginner. Paul was someone, Paul was not someone that played hooky from Sunday school and Bible study. Ladies and gentlemen, Pastor, this was the Apostle Paul making this request. Paul, no doubt, was one of the greatest missionaries that ever lived. If you did a study on the Apostle Paul, Paul suffered for his faith. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was constantly facing opposition. He was arrested and put in jail over and over and over again for his faith. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul wrote over half of the letters of the New Testament books. Uh, think about it. No doubt you've read it or quoted some of his famous scriptures. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind uh, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The apostle Paul wrote that. Romans 8 and 28. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. They are called according to his purpose. The apostle Paul wrote that. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 young people that had no temptation taking you such as common to man. But God is faithful will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape so that you and that you and that you might be able to bear it. The Apostle Paul wrote that. Galatians 5 and 16. Walk in the Spirit and you should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Apostle Paul wrote that. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God with passion. All understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote that. Philippians 4 and 13. I can do all things through Christ uh, that give me the strength. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote that Galatians 2 and 20. I'm crucified with Christ, Pastor. Nevertheless, I live, uh, yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. And now the life that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, uh, who not only loved me, but he gave himself for me. The Apostle Paul wrote that. Romans 8:35. Uh, what shall separate me? Who shall separate me from the love of God? Shall tribulation? No, shall this stress, no shall hide, no death. He said, I let nothing separate me from the love of God. The apostle Paul wrote that Ephesians 3 and 20 said, now unto him, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ever ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. The apostle Paul wrote that. Ladies and gentlemen, this was the apostle Paul. If God would have granted any request, if God would have answered any prayer, certainly it would have been for the Apostle Paul. Why not God answer this prayer? And to be honest with you, Pastor, to be honest with you, Ken Sheila, I started having issues with God about this situation. I, I, I went to God and I, and, and I said, God, this is, this is not right. God, this is the Apostle Paul. I, I can see you telling me no. I can see you telling others no. But when you look at his life, Paul was sold out for you, God. Yeah, he was a knucklehead at one time when he was Saul. But ever since he became Paul, man, he was solid. He was committed. He was dedicated. 
I said, God, this is not right. God, this is not fair. God, how could you not answer this prayer? Think about it. God, he wasn't asking to win the lottery. You can't say amen, say ouch. God, God, he wasn't asking for a motorized chariot with spinning wheels on the side. He wasn't asking for that. God, he was just asking that you would remove this thorn in his flesh. And as I was questioning God, then the devil tapped into the line until it was a three-way conversation. Yeah, Fred, why do you think God answered that prayer? Remember the same thing, Fred, happened to you? And I said, where where that coming from? Yeah, Fred, why why don't you think God did? God did the same thing to you, Fred. You you remember? And God said, don't listen to him, Fred. I said, but but God, he's making a good point. Fred said, don't listen. God said, but but God. And he said, you remember when when, when 11 years ago when uh, 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 you and your wife were locked your house because Katrina was coming that way? and, And before you turned the key, you said, God. Please take care of my home, God. Take care of my church. And, and, and you prayed fervently to God. And then you and your wife left and went to Birmingham, Alabama. And, and just a few days later, not only did you lose your house, you lost your church. Or you lost your membership. And I said, yeah, God. God said, Fred, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. I said, but God, he makes a lot of sense. And I said, God. And then God hung up on me. I said, oh, and then the devil just laughed at me. The devil just laughed at me. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, don't act like I'm the only one. Don't like I'm, act like I'm the only one. My friend, don't act, and look at me like you've never questioned God. Don't look at me like you've never ex- entertained the devil's lies when things are not going right in your life. No, lady, I know I'm not the only one that ever questioned God. Uh, when your marriage fell apart, you questioned God. When your teenage daughter got pregnant, you questioned God. When your son got on drugs, uh, you questioned God. When you lost your job, uh, you questioned God. Uh, when the doctor told you you had cancer, you questioned God. Uh, when your world just fell apart. You questioned God. Ladies and gentlemen, all of us have questioned God at one time or another. But still, what do you do when you pray to God and God says no? What do you do? How do you respond when God says no? There's another thing I want you to notice the restraint. Notice the request. But then thirdly, notice the response. Notice Ken, the response, look at verse nine in the text. The scripture said, the word of God said, the Bible says, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, because my grace is sufficient. Therefore, because my strength is made perfect in weakness, therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The restraint, the request, but now look at the response. You see, my friend, what the devil, Kinsville Pastor, what the devil didn't tell me. When I was on that three-way line or, uh, conversation, when the devil uh, uh, tapped into my prayer line, that that wasn't the first time that God had said no to a believer. This is not the first time in 2 Corinthians 12 that God has said no to a child of God. And the Holy Spirit revealed to me as I studied the scriptures that God has said no to believers all throughout the scriptures. 
In Exodus chapter 33, God told Moses, no. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, God told David, no. In Job chapter 3, God told Job, no. In 1 Kings chapter 19, God told Elijah, no. But wait a minute, this next one going to really mess you up. In Matthew chapter 26, God told Jesus, no. You know when Jesus was praying in the garden of Gethsemane? And, and he was praying and said, God, uh, I know why you sent me here, Daddy, but, but these people don't love you. They don't care about you. They don't honor your word. And Jesus in Exodus said, God, can this cup pass from me? In other words, Jesus was asking his dad, Dad, is there a plan B? Do I really have to die? God, God is there another way that you can accomplish redemption in the life of mankind? And God told Jesus, no. Church leaders, you're not the only one. Dads, you're not the only one. Moms, you're not the only one. Husbands, you're not the only one. Wives, you're not the only one. Teenagers, you're not the only one. Ladies and gentlemen, all throughout the Bible, God has said, for whatever the reason, no. However, brothers and sisters, the reason you and I can rejoice today, the you and I reason I can be encouraged tonight, the reason you and I should not give up when God says no is because, listen to me well, it's not no with a period behind it. It's not no door closed. It's not no curtain down. It's not no never to be brought up again. It's not no end of the discussion. When God says no to his son, uh, to his daughter, when God says no to one of his children, it's always no with a comma behind it, meaning that there's something else to come. Oh, y'all don't, y'all miss that. Y'all miss that. When God says no to a child of God, it's not no period. It's not no end of the discussion. It's not no curtain down. When God said no to a child of God, it's always no with a comma behind it, meaning there's something else uh, to find, to follow. I said there's always no with a comma behind it, meaning there's something else to follow. A comma, meaning there's a break. A comma, meaning there's a pause, but it's not the end. A comma, meaning it's a delay, but it's not a denial. Paul, I'm not going to take away the stone, son. Paul, I'm not going to remove the thorn, but this is what I will do for you, Paul. My grace, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you. Oh, my friend, when God says no, don't get angry. Don't get upset. Don't get mad. Don't lose it. Don't throw in the towel. No, it's not the end. No, it's not final. It's just no. It's just a comma where some grace can be inserted. Grace, the love of God towards man. Grace, the favor of God towards man. Grace, God's unmerited faith towards man. Oh my friend God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is adequate. God's grace is enough. God's grace is suitable. Oh Paul I'm not going to remove the thorn but Paul what I will do I'm going to give you grace grace. Grace to endure. Grace to hang in there. Grace to make it through because Paul if I bring you to it son I will bring you through it. Yes. Yes. Yes, Paul, I'm going to give you some grace to endure. It's no wonder the songwriter said it's amazing. It's no wonder the songwriter said it's awesome. It's no wonder the songwriter said it's wonderful. It's no wonder the songwriter said it's phenomenal. It's no wonder the songwriter said it's extraordinary. It's God's grace. God's grace. God's amazing grace. As a matter of fact, if you're here tonight 
and you're not saved, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to let you know tonight that God's amazing grace is available for you, my brother. God's amazing grace is available to you, my sister. You don't have to leave out of this place the same way that you came in. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace, for by grace, for by grace are we saved through faith. And that's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Oh, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Through many, many dangers, toys, and snares, I have already come. But how did I get through it, Pastor? Grace, grace, grace brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead you home. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, when God says no, it's not the end. It's just a comma. But he can insert some grace for you and me, the restraint, the requests, the response. And then finally, as I come to a close, thank you again, Pastor, for this tremendous privilege of being back at Kempsville. Finally, I want to just share the four thing, the restraint, the request, the response. And then finally, look at the reason. Look at the reason in verse 10. Look at the reason in verse 10. I'm going to read verse 9 and 10 to put it in this context. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Here it is, verse 10. Therefore. Mm. Whenever you see that word, therefore, you got to find out what it is. Therefore. Yeah, yeah, okay. Because of his grace in verse 9. Because of his strength that he's going to give us in verse 9. Paul says, because of his rest that he's going to give in verse 9. Paul said, therefore, now that I understand what's going on, I take pleasure in infirmities, pleasure in reproaches, pleasure in needs, pleasure in persecutions, pleasure in distress. For Christ's sake, here it is, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, as I take my seat, the reason, my friend, the reason God says no sometimes is so that we can learn to depend on him. The reason God says no sometimes that we can learn to depend on, think about it, if you can handle everything by yourself, you wouldn't need God. If you can go through life depending on you, you would need God. You would need God if you can handle life and deal with all the things that life has to offer you by yourself. You would need God. You would need God if you can work it out on your own. You would need God if you can figure it out by yourself. That's why Paul said what he said in verse 7. If you go back to verse 7, look what Paul says at the end of verse 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation. Paul was heavy. Paul had, and God had revealed so much thing to Paul. Paul was, he could have easily been filled with pride because God had given Paul revelations that no other apostle no other disciple, apostle Paul that saw the third heaven, no other disciple had saw that and Paul said lest I should be exalted and let pride get the best of me like it got to Lucifer in the in heaven, lest I should be exalted by measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, here it is lest I should be exalted Above measure. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, in other words, God said, Paul, I can't let you get the big head. 
I can't let you get filled up with pride. You've accomplished a lot since you became a believer. But I never want you to get to the point that you think you did all this by yourself. I never want you to get to the point you think you've done this all on your own. So I'm going to give you something to remind you that every now and then that I am still in control. So when we are weak, when we are faint, when we want to give up, when we want to throw in the towel, then God steps in, picks us up, comforts us and gives us grace to make it through. So God said, Paul, I, I, uh, that's what he said in verse 10. What he says, he says, the reason he can take pleasure in the stuff that he's going through is because he knows that God's grace will take up his slack. Grace and infirmities, grace and reproaches, grace and needs, grace and persecutions, grace and distress, grace and hardship. For when I am weak, then I am strong because grace got my back. Grace has given me the strength. Paul, I'm not going to move it because I don't want you to get to me. Every time you think you've made a, oh, okay, God. I, I, every time you think you could, oh, okay, God. I, I remember. Everything you think you'd have made, oh, okay, God. God. God said, Paul, I don't want you to depend on you. I want you to depend on me. In other words, Paul is saying, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but this is one thing I do. I do know who's going to get me through. I don't know how. This is difficult. It's tougher. This is not easy. This stone in the flesh buffers me. It limits me. It restricts me from being all that I want to be from God. However, through all of this, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. But this one thing I do know, I do know who's going to get me through it. I don't know how I'm going to make it through my infirmities. I don't know how I'm going to make it through my reproaches. I don't know how I'm going to make it through my necessities. don't know how I'm going to make it through my persecutions. don't know how I'm going to make it through my distress. don't know how I'm going to make it through my hardships, but I do know who's going to get me through those things, uh, through setbacks, uh, through trials, uh, through tribulations, uh, through hurts, uh, through disappointments, through adversity, through hurricanes, through floods, uh, through trials. Uh, I don't know how, but I do know who, and because I know who, I know that God's grace, uh, God's grace, uh, God's grace is sufficient for me. Yes, 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 God's grace is sufficient for me. So hang in there, brothers. God's grace is sufficient. Hang in there, sisters. God's grace is sufficient. Hang in there, senior soldiers. God's grace is sufficient. Hang in there, young people. God's grace is sufficient. Hang in there, Kinsville. God's grace is sufficient. Hang in there, church. God's grace is sufficient. No matter the thorn, no matter the setback, no matter the enemy, no matter what the enemy tries to do, keep on preaching, keep on singing, keep on playing, keep Keep on worshiping. Keep on sharing. Keep on giving. Keep on doing the thing. Keep on telling the story. Keep on planting the seed. Keep on doing what God has called you to do. Why? Because his grace, his grace, his grace is sufficient for you. I develop an attitude that I thank God for my mountains. I thank God for my valleys. I thank God for the storms that he's brought me through. For if I never had a problem, I would know that God could solve them. I would know what faith in his word could do. But through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. Now, ladies and gentlemen, now, brothers and sisters, now Kinsville Baptist Church, now you know what to do when God says, 
No. God bless y'all. God keep y'all. Y'all pray for me. I'll pray for you.